This is the Bird Hugger Podcast with Katherine Greenleaf, the podcast for people who love birds. Welcome to the Bird Hugger Podcast. I'm Katherine Greenleaf, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm on board for a full 30 minutes of talking all things birds and restoring native habitat. What happens when a burnt-out college professor living in New England decides to become a wildlife rescuer and rehabilitator? Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds. Hello there, everybody. It's just a matter of a few more weeks until spring arrives. Then we can all get back outside and into our gardens, where we belong. With that thought in mind, I asked Tucson, Arizona resident Martha Ritalik to join us on the show today. Martha has just published a wonderful new book called City Nature. This book celebrates the joys of nature in an urban setting. It is lavishly illustrated with beautiful photographs taken by Martha herself. In this unique book, she tackles the subject of water harvesting, a topic so many of us are becoming increasingly more interested in. We talked to Martha today about how she transformed her yard and gardens into a bird oasis by applying multiple water harvesting techniques. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. Okay, and now I'd like to welcome Martha Ritalik to the show. Martha, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It is such a pleasure to have you on the show. I've read your beautiful book with all your gorgeous photographs and all the very wise information you have, especially about water harvesting. So I thought I'd invite you onto the show to talk to my listeners about water harvesting. So first of all, tell us where you live. You're in central Tucson, right? I am in central Tucson. I have lived in Tucson since 1987. I'm originally from Pennsylvania. And my introduction to Arizona happened while I was bicycling around the United States in 1981 and 82. This was November 1981, and I was literally blown out of California by a sandstorm. And it was such a strong sandstorm that I stopped on a rest area on Interstate 8 and had to hitch a ride over to Yuma, which is on the east side of the Colorado River. And what I did not know at the time is that desert sandstorms are generally a thing that happens a day or two or maybe in a few hours in advance of a huge rainstorm. Like, for example, we're having one of those today. We're having high winds up to 50 miles an hour with rain that's being driven by this wind. And this storm should be out of here by this evening. Now, in the case of Arizona 1981, I got to Yuma, beautiful sunny day, not a cloud in the sky, no sandstorm. But the rainstorm got me good over the next few days after I left Yuma. And why that's important as it relates to water harvesting is this part of the world is the ultimate example of when it rains, it pours. And 
in the Southwest, you'll often hear at this time of the year where they had three inches of rain and terrible floods. And that's no big deal out in the wilderness. Oh, got some rain. Great. The creatures are happy. The plants are happy. In the cities, it can be a big problem because of runoff. Out there in nature, about 50% of the rain that falls through a heavy rainstorm, it gets absorbed into the ground. But here in the city, it becomes runoff, about 55%. And runoff can cause flooding in our streets and in our washes, and that can lead to some pretty expensive property damage. And that runoff, I imagine, is somewhat in part due to impervious surfaces. Yes. So water harvesting is all about is it's a way of encouraging water. Now, we talk to water very nicely because it can generate a lot of force. We want to encourage it to slow down, spread out, and ever so slowly and gently sink into the ground. And impervious surfaces are a part of this. And why is that? Well, it's because here in the city, we have these things called rooftops. And rooftops are great surfaces for starting the water harvesting process, whether you're running water into a cistern or just out into your yard like I'm doing here. I have a yard that is sculpted to take advantage of the fact that we do have heavy rainfall here. I have basins. I have berms, which are like a big hug. It's like an earthen dam to keep the water in. And I also have what are called swales, which are like intermittently flowing rocky streams. And all of these things are poised at the ready. So when we get a heavy continuous rainstorm, that water isn't going to go flooding off into the street. It's going to stay here, sink into the ground and nourish plant life. That is great. Now, being the Bird Hugger podcast, I know you talk about in your book that you've created an urban oasis and a thriving bird habitat in your yard by trapping the water and keeping it on your property. Could you talk to my listeners maybe about what some of the options are for someone who's trying to do what you're doing and keep the water on their property? Okay. Well, a good thing to do is you want to think of Like in the case of my house, when I first moved in here, I was told by the home inspector, your backyard slopes toward the house, which could cause flooding. And neighbors told me that indeed during heavy rainstorms, my house did flood. Never happened to me. The water harvesting that I have here, okay, the backyard would solve that flooding problem that I had, a cistern. There's nothing like a 1,500-gallon cistern to give that rain a place to go instead of the yard. Now, in the front yard, I'm doing what's called passive water harvesting. That is sculpting the earth. I have two great, big water harvesting basins out there that are connected to a drainage swale, which is right below the downspout, which is connected to rain gutters, which are attached to my roof. And my front yard is harvesting water from 500 square feet of roof. Now, that's my first unit of measure. We're going to do a little math problem here. The next thing we're going to do is let's roll in some rain. Right now, it's not raining. We're between storms. But let's say, for example, today we have an inch of rain off of 500 square feet of roof. That one inch of rain is going to produce about 250 gallons of water, which is great. 
I've got one basin, water harvesting basin, right below that drainage swale that can hold 250 gallons. Well, what happens if it keeps raining? It's not like my basins are going to say, okay, first basin, I'm filled up. We're good. Thanks. It's going to keep raining for as long as it does. So in any water harvesting project, you have an overflow. In the case of the basins, I have a second one, another one that holds 250 gallons. So we get two inches of rain. I can still harvest water in the yard without it overflowing. Well, let's see what happens. It might creep over the top of that berm. But you know what? I have a rock garden. And the rock garden is acting like a giant swale. It has all sorts of things for the rain to bump into, which slows it down. And ever so slowly, it's going to work its way down through that rock garden to get to the cactus at the bottom. And the cactus are right by the sidewalks. They don't get frequent waterings. They live off of the rainwater. And so they're good to go. The thing about basins, what people need to remember about basins in this part of the world is you get the idea, okay, I'm going to dig a basin. I'm going to plant a tree in the bottom of it. Well, trees in this part of the world, and I do recommend that you stay within the desert plant palette, our trees don't like to get their feet wet. So it is best to plant your tree kind of off to one side of the basin, maybe at the top of it. I have this big mesquite tree out in my front yard that's a little way to the south of the beach, between the two basins, but not in them. And that tree has been here since 2005. I planted it 19 years ago. Lives off of rainwater harvesting, no irrigation system other than rainwater harvesting. It is about 25 foot high now, and it is like the bird singles club of this neighborhood. I mean, right now I have, I don't think they're out there right now, but I have some love-struck morning doves out there. They're not calling yet, but they are definitely perched out there like they're waiting for the right girlfriend to come along. And, you know, when they birds are there, they're lovesick. They kind of pancake them themselves down a little bit. And they have that characteristic way of perching. They're doing that now. That's so funny. That's great. So can I ask you about these cisterns that you put in your property? Are they underground or above ground? It's an above ground cistern. It's 1,500 gallons. And let's go back to that little math problem again. It's harvesting water from my back roof, which is about 500 square feet. The one-inch rainstorm, 250 gallons. Six inches of water is going to fill that cistern. And thanks to all the rain, thanks to El Nino, I checked the cistern this morning. It's got about 1,300 gallons in it. Now, it didn't run all the way out during the summer months, but it got close. And then in October, I had to have my roof replaced, and I should have said something to the fellow, but he was up there hosing the roof off, and uh uh-oh, some of that He was power washing it. Some of that white elastomeric coating got into my cistern. So for about a week, I was out there draining the cistern, draining this water and watering various plants. And eventually I got down to clear water again, which was probably about at 400 gallons. So we've had a good winter. That's great. So now once the cistern is filled with water, what do you use it for? Is it strictly watering your plants in the garden? I water my garden with the cistern. The landscaping plants, like the trees and shrubs, 
They live off of rainwater. I have a rain garden out there. The only trees that don't are I have three fruit trees. I have a lemon, a fig, and a pomegranate. Now, the fig is in a planter, and I've had some difficulty with getting the water from the irrigation line that has to flow up into that planter. So I figure out other ways to water the fig, like cistern water. I wash the dishes for my fig tree, and I use water harvesting approved soap for washing my dishes. So anyway, Figster lives mostly off the kindness of Martha, whereas the lemon and the pomegranate tree live off the gray water from my washing machine. And I have ordered a second pomegranate tree, which will also live off the gray water system. And I'm thinking with the fig in the planter, I'm going to add a trellis over it, which will motivate me to plant cantaloupes in there, which can climb the trellis and shade the fig tree because that poor thing really gets beat up by the sun. Pomegranate and the lemon, eh, they're good. They don't mind. Now, these berms that you built, how high are they? The berms are about, at the highest, are about two foot high. And I had those installed by a local organization. It's a local environmental education organization promoting water harvesting called Watershed Management Group. They had what was called the Green Living Co-op between 2008 and 2022. And what happened was you would join the co-op, volunteer on other people's projects. And then when you had enough work credit hours, the group would come to you. And I had a total of six workshops here, four Earthworks workshops, one cistern, and one gray water. It was like an Amish barn raising. <laughs> That's great. Where do the swales go? The swale is something I built. And the reason I did that was because originally the WMG had put a little, like a sand-lined path between the downspout and that basin on the east side of my yard. And after a few rainstorms, I noticed that it was starting to carve out a little bit, like it could become a gully. So I know what, I've got rocks, I've got busted up concrete, I am building a swale. Took a bit of doing, but I did it. And the purpose of the swale is it's not a comfortable place to stand. I don't recommend that. It's not there for that purpose. It is there to give the rain coming out of the downspout, which can come out at a very high rate of speed, give it some things to bump into and slow down as it eases its way toward the basin. Now, of course, when we really get a big rainstorm, nothing's easing toward any basin. It's going to be like a little rapid. And the fun part is when that basin fills up the mulch that is in the bottom of it, and you want the mulch there because that helps slow the evaporation of water, the mulch levitates up to the top on the surface of the water. And then as it gets absorbed, it levitates back down to the ground. It's kind of fun to watch. Did you have to check with the city of Tucson to make sure that these harvesting basins and cisterns were legal to use? Is that, is that a concern that listeners should have? Should they check with their town authorities before ordering products the like city that? Of tu- yeah, the city of Tucson is quite a leader, not just in this country, but in the world in terms of encouraging water harvesting. They have rebate programs. Let me tell you something. If there is a rebate program, I'm going to take advantage of it. They install, in fact, I've worked on many of these with Watershed Management Group. They install water harvesting projects on municipal properties to give people an example of what they can do at home. 
and watershed management group and also several of the city council offices in this city have water harvesting projects with signage to explain how it all goes together. So now talking about the thriving bird habitat that was created as a result of all your work, what are some of the native birds in Tucson? Okay, right now I am hosting, well, morning doves. I've got this couple of vermilion flycatchers that have really been torturing me because I want to take their photo, but they're figured out how to perch in my yard on the trees and on the shrubs so that they are just out of the range of my longest lens. You know, these birds haven't figured out. Last year and in late 2022, there was this roadrunner that kept showing up. And this guy was such a feature in our neighborhood. He has a nickname, Roadie. And Roadie would come into my yard. Apparently, my yard was like the place to find grubs if you're a roadrunner. And he just loved it here. Well, a year ago, February, I'm bicycling home from running errands. I pull up into my driveway and then I see Rhody with a smaller roadrunner, and she took off and ran across the street. And Rhody sat in my yard for the rest of the day and waited for her. So then I had to figure out that whenever those two were out there, I'd just stay in the house. Don't bother them. And eventually they found their way to another part of the neighborhood where apparently they have set up housekeeping because I've seen other roadrunners in the neighborhood. And a few weeks ago, I was bicycling up my street and I saw this roadrunner. I said, hi, Rhody, it's me. How you doing? And instead of taking off at high speed like they do, you can kind of oh, I, I think I recognize that voice. <laughs> That's great. Do you have a favorite bird? Well, Rhody, until he found other places to go in the neighborhood, I had solar, rooftop solar installed here in 2018. And the morning doves thought that was terrific. In the spring of 2019, I had been doing work out in my backyard. I had closed shop in the backyard for the day. And then I looked at the, it's like the brains of the solar. It's like the, the panel box for the solar electric. And there's a morning dove nesting on that thing. I thought, oh, no, I'm having work done on the house. I'm going to have workers in the backyard. They're going to scare the birds off. And no, the morning dove stayed hatched. It's the picture of the father and the son, their father or father. I, don't, I, I guess it's a father dove. You know, this, the habits of morning doves. During the day, the father sits on the nest. And during the night, the mother sits on the nest. And I think after they hatch, it becomes more flexible. But that was 2019. And they've been coming back ever since. So great. I'm expecting that any day now, somebody's going to set up housekeeping on the solar box again. <laughs> Up here in New England, we had a record 21 inches over the course of June, July, and August this past summer. We had roads flooded, streams and rivers bursting their banks, water unfortunately, you know, pulling down the gasoline and other pollution on the roads back into the streams and into the lakes and the other tributaries that lead out to the ocean. It was just a big mess. So a lot of people in the area now are thinking water harvesting. What would you say to someone who's listening right now, who's just beginning, who's just thinking about it and starting to plan? What would be the first thing you would recommend to them in terms of their yard? Watch where the rain goes now. 
is it going where you want? Then you're good. If you don't like, in my case, I didn't want the water from the backyard to come into the house. And I tried various things to solve that problem. And really what solved the problem was rain gutters, above ground and underground plumbing to the cistern, 1,500 gallons out of the equation. And the thing is, in parts of the country where it rains a lot, there are people who set up cisterns. And one of the things you can do with rainwater, now I don't recommend that you just put a cup up to it and start drinking it. You need to have it tested, especially if it's coming off of a roof, because you know, you know, you're driving down the freeway, you see that sign that says rest stop and you're happy to see it. Well, when birds are flying around, they look at our roofs and they say the same thing. So get that water tested so you know how to fill what to filter for. But people use that water for drinking water. They use it for filling swimming pools. It is used in the brewing industry. So don't think that rainwater harvesting is something that is just limited to us desert dwellers. You can harvest water too. And what type of investment, monetarily speaking, are we talking about getting a 1,500-gallon cistern with the piping you would need to empty it out for whatever purpose you're choosing? Okay, I'm going to, you know, it depends on what kind of cistern you can buy. Some of them, the best in this country that I have seen, they're not cheap and the shipping will really get you attention. Texas Metal Tanks is the company. They run into the many thousands of dollars. That's the downside. And the shipping isn't cheap either. And even for retailers who sell them, they have to pay that too. The upside is you get a very good cistern. I don't have one of those. I have a plastic cistern and that plus the installation. And mind you, they had to put the rain gutters on. Watershed Management Group did that. They had to custom design the plumbing system going between the downspout and my cistern. That ran about $5,000 and there was a city of Tucson rebate, which I took advantage of. Grave water, there again. Had to custom design the plumbing. They brought in one of the trees. They brought in the pomegranate tree, transplanted the fig for me. That was about 2000 There again, there are rebates. And of course, good old United States of America, they figured out financing that you can get for these things. And in some locales, there are also grant programs. The it's, cheapest thing you can do is sculpt your yard using the passive water harvesting. Right. Berms, basins, swales, combination. I was going to say all that sounds a heck of a lot cheaper than having your basement flooded, having yes. to have flood remediation done, mold yes. remediation as a result of the flooding. Yes. Uh, I grew up in a house. Tens of thousands of dollars. Yep. I grew up in a house with a basement flooding problem. When I was in the process of selling the family home after my mother died, I went back there to settle the sale. And the day before the sale settlement, I went into that house and I heard these big motors running. And I thought, good, because that basement needed to be remediated. It was getting done. Great. And I don't know exactly what the new owners did to make that happen. I know that their real estate agent was certified to handle this kind of project, but I know that it was it must have been quite a job for them. I mean, in her later years, I basically had to prioritize what was best to do to keep mom at home and anything else except that I just had to put it off. Right. But yeah, I can I can definitely relate to the flooded basement problem. Yeah. I yeah. had to throw away just about everything that was in that basement. Wow. Now, as we wrap up here, are there any parting thoughts you'd like to leave with our listeners just about water in general and 
creating an oasis in your yard by finding a way to harvest it and slow it down and get it to absorb? I would say, you know, the first thing you can do is just think, you know, look at look at what happens in your yard or your property during a rainstorm. Is it doing what you want it to do? If not, correct that. And it's an ongoing process. I've been in this house for almost 20 years. I am still working on the water harvesting. Like I just went out to rake out one of my basins because it seemed like it was getting a little shallow. I may need to do that with the other one in the front yard. And of course, I mentioned I'm adding another pomegranate in the backyard. So it's not going to be one of these set it and forget it type deals. You're going to keep working on it. And here's the bonus on that. Working on it can be a lot of fun. I'd like to thank Martha Retallick for joining us today. You can find out more about Martha in her wonderful new book, City Nature, by going to her website at westernskycommunications.com. Join Americans everywhere in the one-third for the birds movement. Dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife. Make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers. Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young. You will be rewarded with many hours of bird watching fun. For more information on One Third for the Birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook. And that's it for today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a great week and enjoy the birds. Bye for now. Bye for now.